0: Good morning. This morning, I want to talk about the most overlooked character in the Christmas story. His name is Joseph. Joseph is the most overlooked character in the Christmas story. I I would challenge you if you were to steal the Joseph from your nativity at home, how long would it take for people to notice? Might take weeks, might take months might not find him until next year. I don't know about you, but at our house, our kids used to love to play with the baby Jesus. Anybody else have that true at their house? Baby Jesus was missing from our nativity set all the time. We had to put out amber alerts for, for baby Jesus. You know, We couldn't find him anywhere. In fact, they played with baby Jesus so much, eventually they broke his arm. He, he had one arm which was terrible for baby Jay. Uh, but, but Joseph, I, I, went to, I went looking for a Joseph to steal for this, and I ended up with this one. This is from the lobby, but this wasn't my original one I was going to steal. I was going to steal the one off the mantle. On the uh, mantle out there in the lobby is a nativity set, and I went over there to steal the Joseph from the nativity set to see how long it would take for someone to notice. And you know what I found? There is no Joseph in our nativity set. Where is Dane? Dane? Dane's in trouble with me. He said, I showed this to him. I said, There's no Joseph in our nativity set. He said, That guy next to Mary's Joseph. I said, The one with the shepherd's hook? And then there's one behind him with a, with a lamb. You got Mary, you got Jesus, you got all three wise men. No Joe. Joe isn't even there, right? Um, and so Joseph in, a, in the Christmas story has been relegated as kind of a bystander in the story, right? There are, I went looking. There are more sermons about Joseph from the Old Testament, the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, than there are about Joseph, the father figure in Jesus's life, right? I was thinking about this. Christmas carols. Who are Christmas carols about? Jesus and? Christmas carols about Joseph? No, there aren't any. Think about the Christmas carols. Silent night, holy night. I went through that whole song. Do they mention Joseph in that song? No, never. Not a mention, not at all. What child is this is laid to rest on Mary's lap is wow, you guys are bad. It's the holiday season at this point. You know who else had a lap? Joe. Joe was there that night. He probably held the baby. probably put the baby on his lap. Any mention of Joe? No, nothing. Not a thing. Uh, um, how about, do you guys know this one? Mary, did you know? Joseph, did you know? No one's ever going to write a song about you. Hey, Nobody's ever written a song about Joseph. I don't get it, right? Uh, a Breath of Heaven. How many people know that song? Amy Grant, Breath of Heaven. Breath of Heaven, right? It says, I have traveled many moonless nights, cold and weary, with a babe inside. I bet Joe was like, I was on that trip too. <laughs> I was there. I, In fact, you were on a donkey. I walked the whole way. In fact, we had to stop every 20 minutes for you to pee right? Joseph was in all of those things. I can only imagine Joseph saying, hey man, what about me? What about me? I was there for all of it. The Bible does not record a single word of Joseph. Do you know that? Not one. Joseph doesn't get a single word in the Bible. In the Bible, a donkey gets a quote in the Bible. There, There are, there are, the thief on the cross is quoted in the Bible. We have fishermen and pharisees and notorious sinners and tax collectors and all of them have quotes in the bible Joseph doesn't get a single word not a single quote no nuggets of fatherly wisdom no dad jokes uh, i heard a dad joke from joseph do you guys know this dad joke from joseph joseph said why did jesus have to be born on christmas anybody know because he ran because jesus ran out of womb Told you it was a dad joke. Came from Ian. So, uh, yeah, there you go. This morning we are talking about the spirit of Christmas. And as we've looked through this Christmas story, we look for all the places where the Holy Spirit showed up, where we see the Holy Spirit, right? And we see that the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah. Last week we saw Zechariah gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets his mouth shut for nine months, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then has this this speech, this song that he sings. Uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist's mother is filled with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna see next week Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit. What's joseph filled with the holy spirit no he was not filled with the holy spirit in fact joe's only experience with the holy spirit is the holy spirit got his fiance pregnant okay i want you to imagine that joseph's response was holy who Holy what? What? What, did it, what happened here? That is Joe's experience with the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to see this because after the nativity, Joseph would lead his family. He would provide for his family, right? Joseph had to train Jesus in an occupation. How many people know what Joseph's occupation was? He was a, he was a carpenter. That means Joseph was training Jesus how to use tools. How to, he taught Jesus that you measure twice and you cut once you cut once you measure twice you cut once he probably told that to Jesus Jesus was like I got it Dad I got it you know he he understand. Jesus do you ever think about Jesus like learning to work you think Jesus ever hit his thumb with a hammer you think Je- if Jesus hit his thumb with a hammer what does Jesus say me myself and I what does he say <laughs> w- w- I don't know. But Joseph trained him in all of that stuff, right? So this morning, we're going to walk a mile in Joseph's sandals, and we're going to see what it was like to be Joe. What about Joe, right? And this is a little old, but I love it because it focuses on Joseph, and so I want you to take a look at this. You know, the graphics are a little old, but you'll see what I'm talking about. What if Joseph was on social media during all of this? Try and get your head around what it would have been like to be Joseph. So, let's jump into it this morning. If you've got notes, follow along with me. If you are in your Bible, we are in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we are going to read through this story together. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to who? To Joe. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of who? Of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a what? Righteous man. I like that. He was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he, quietly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, who? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not what? Don't be afraid. To take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was indeed conceived by who? By the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will, what? Save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Matthew doesn't have an account of like that night, the traditional Christmas account with the angels in the field and the shepherds and all of that. That's in the book of Luke. But... I do wish we knew more about that night, specifically about what Joe was doing that night. What was it like for Joseph, right? Pacing outside the stable, right? He's pacing and he's going back and forth and he's probably hearing Mary moan in the stable and he's, maybe he's just caught up in a vivid recollection of that night that he had that dream. And he's seeing that angel that was in front of him and speaking so clearly to him, right? And he's pacing back and forth and suddenly, you know, Mary shouts and that's enough to crack him out of his memory and, and go rushing back into this, this barn setting, right? And, and, and immediately he goes looking for an anesthesiologist. I need an anesthesiologist. I need something, right? Give me a midwife. Give me anything here. I need some help here. I don't know what I'm doing, and, and he goes in, and, and Mary's, you know, eventually she's making those noises, and he's like, I guess I'm here, I better do that. Push, baby, push. Come on, baby, push. Was it a short labor? Was it a long labor? Nobody knows for sure. I, I actually have a friend at my church in Elk Grove that was, uh, their baby came so quickly, That when the baby began to come, they knew they couldn't get to the hospital. They called 911. The fire department came to their house. But in the six or eight minutes it took for the fire department to get to their house, he delivered his son on the floor of the bathroom. He delivered his own son on the floor of the bathroom. In fact, when they fill out the birth record, the attending physician, his name is on the attending physician of his own kid that's what joe was walking into that day right he was walking into that right he that can't be what he imagined he was not imagining a barn or a stable he he was imagining probably the way that women have always given birth in a in a home with with family and friends around and for the love of god where are the women folk go in there help her help her i just am going to be out here smoking a stogie waiting to announce it's a boy right But instead, he's there, and he's in the middle of it, and he's he's probably helping to deliver the baby, right? And and when the baby comes, can you imagine Joseph's state of mind in the stable that night, right? This can't be the way it's supposed to be. Well, I want to talk about the way Joe gets to that moment, right? And so I want to talk about the five stages that Joe probably went through on the way to that night. And the first stage is this. The first stage is excitement, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. First of all, it was this, right? Joe was like, Oh, how many people remember getting engaged? Like when you got engaged, everything was, right? Right? Oh, you're so beautiful. I love you so much, schmoopy. No, you're schmoopy. No, you're schmoopy, right? Everybody was, oh man, it's exciting, you're talking about everything, the wedding's coming and everybody's excited for you, right? Um, And and she had said, yes, that's all that mattered. In this culture, engagement was a little bit different. Marriage happened in two stages. There was the betrothal. We don't get betrothed anymore, we just get engaged and if we need out of it, we can get out of it. I saw an ad this week for a diamond ring and all it said was, she said no. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer, right? Right? But the, the betrothal was this time where the betrothal takes about a year. Um, it, it you get betrothed in an actual ceremony in the in the synagogue, right? And so it's called a Kedushan at the synagogue, and you're pledged to be married, and basically you were married at that point, but married with no benefits, if you know what I'm talking about, people. Married with no benefits. And so basically you would, you would go and do that, this formal ceremony, but if you were going to call off the wedding, you needed to have another formal ceremony to break it off, and you needed to provide a certificate of divorce, right? And so this would normally happen, the women were young, normally between 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. The men could be older in their tradition, right? But they were very young. And then about a year later, you would have the actual ceremony. It's called the huppa. And they would have a full-blown wedding feast ceremony, almost like our weddings, right? You'd have everything. You'd have a Pinterest donut wall. You'd have a DJ. You'd have dancing. You'd have the dinner and the whole nine yards. Anybody who's put on a wedding, it's the full deal, right? And then you have marriage with benefits. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Uh, In our culture now today, many of us would say, well, that's crazy. They are way too young, way too young to get married. That is absolutely crazy. Uh, My pushback on that would be, how are we doing as a culture? Right? We're putting off marriage later and later and later. Our divorce statistics are about half of marriages end in divorce within about eight years. This, before we get too judgy on the age and the way that this culture did it, I, I think maybe we ought to take a step back and take a look. But no matter what, they were excited. This was the same kind of thing. It's happening. We're getting married. The beginning of our new life together. They were dreaming about the wedding. They were dreaming about the honeymoon. They were asking, how many kids do you want? I don't know. How many kids do you want? They were talking about all those things they were super excited right but really quick the excitement went to shock right you could see how that would happen right but before the marriage took place while she was still a virgin she became pregnant and you go from this to what say what what happened how did, how did that happen, right? You could see how that would change things from this to this real fast, right? You go from excited and in love to in shock, right? It would cause any guy to do that. And, and we don't even exactly know how Joe heard about this. We don't exactly know who did Mary tell him. Did he find out through someone else? We don't know exactly, right? Uh, we can only imagine what Joe went through when he heard about it. Now, Joe worked in the trades. Joe was a carpenter. So he worked with plumbers and electricians and, and guys that framed houses and stuff. Can you imagine what that conversation was like on the job site, right? Right? What his buddies would say, yeah, sure, I, I love the way it said this. And that's convenient, Joe. She's pregnant. It wasn't you, huh? You know, can you, come on, Joe. You know, Joe, you can tell us, Joe. Is what they, but let's say maybe they even believed Joe. Joe said, honestly, guys, I, it's not, it wasn't me. And she's, you know, she's pregnant. Can you imagine what those guys would say to her? Joe, you're not gonna marry her, are you? Joe, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go through with this at this point, are you? She's, she's been unfaithful. She's, you know, she's got a bad reputation at this point. You're not gonna go through with this, are you? And can you imagine what Joe's frame of mind was? In Luke chapter one, the other Christmas story, it says a few days later, Mary hurried off to the hill country in Judea. Here's the question I have. Did she tell Joe first or did she just bolt? We don't really know for sure. Did she tell Joe or did she have this vivid dream where an angel told her, and I'm sure she was shocked too, you know, and then she was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know, what I'm, I don't know who I'm gonna tell. I don't know what to say. And maybe she just bolted. I'm gonna get out of town. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I need to. And Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. We see this in the scriptures a little bit later in Luke chapter one, verse 56, that she's there for three months. Three months is a long time to process this, Right? It's a long time to go. I can't believe, I don't know what's happening. Mary's processing it. She's talking with Elizabeth. She's saying, I had this crazy dream, right? And when she returns, she comes to Joe and says, Joe, we need to talk. Can you imagine getting blindsided by this conversation? Joe, I don't know how to tell you this, but an angel told me I'm, going to be pre- I'm pregnant. And, and, and at this point, he's like, I sort of noticed something. It's been three months. It looks like you put on a little weight at your, at your cousin's house, but, but, may, but it looks like you're carrying it right here. Maybe you are pregnant. What is going on? Can you imagine, get your head inside of what it was like from Joe's perspective? Because Joe is gonna go from this To this. Joe is confused. Joe goes from shock to confused. He doesn't know what to make of this, right? It says in the scriptures there, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. Joe says, now what? Now what do I do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do here, right? All my hopes and dreams are flying out of his mind. What am I going to do? What do I do with Mary, right? What do I do with her? And and in this day and age, he would have had three options. Joe would have had about three options. The first were he could bring Mary out publicly and expose her for the pregnancy. Now, in that day and time, not that it's guaranteed, but it certainly would have a likely possibility, is the people of the town could actually just grab stones and stone her to death. That was a very real possibility in that culture, right? And I can only imagine Joe thinking to himself, I don't... This is Mary. This is my Mary. This is, this is the woman that when she said yes, I was so excited. But now I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do, right? And, and when Mary told me about this dream, she seemed so honest. Like I can't even imagine Mary cheating on me. I can't imagine that she would do that. By, with who even? I don't even know who she would do it with. But when she talked about it, she was... So convinced. And she looked like she had seen a ghost. Like she was convinced. And I know Mary. The other option is he could privately divorce her. He could do this in, in private. And he could just give her a certificate of divorce. It would need to be witnessed by a couple of people. But it doesn't need to be a big public show. He could have her divorced privately. All done. Clean and neat. Right? But he's confused. What do I do? The third option is he could marry her. In fact, there's a provision in the Old Testament law in Exodus chapter 22 that talks about this. If a couple was betrothed and she got pregnant, the husband could still marry her. In fact, he had to pay the bride price there's sort of an underlying assumption it was probably the husband that got her pregnant if you know what I'm talking about here, right? They probably just couldn't wait and all of that. It was acceptable for him to marry her and to go on with their life. That was permissible under the law. But Joe knew he hadn't gotten her pregnant. Mary knew Joe hadn't gotten her pregnant. What what do I do? I'm so confused. And Joe went with option number two. He, he wanted to end this thing privately, but with some compassion for Mary. But then listen to verse 20 here. We're going to see that suddenly it goes from confusion to fear. He's afraid. And, and we see Joseph, son of David, the angel said, what did he say? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Joe has this dream, and he wakes up in a cold sweat. How many people here dream vividly? Anybody know what I'm... Do you know what? uh, They tell us that you actually dream every night. Do you know that? Dream experts tell us that you dream every night, usually from four to six different dreams in a night. We very rarely remember them, but this is not that very rarely dream. This is the dream that wakes him up out of a cold sweat. He is terrified by what he saw. But what else is Joe afraid of? Well, he's probably afraid of what everyone's going to think, Right? The gossip, the talk, the the slander. Maybe he's afraid even for Mary's future. What's going to happen to Mary? If I divorce her, even privately, she's going to be, this is her hometown. She's going to be with baby and and an unwed mother in this situation. Like, what's going to happen to Mary? He's afraid of all of this, right? What happens if we stay together? People are always going to talk. They're always going to say things, right? And so we see that, right? And and Joe has probably not slept very much since he's been so confused, right? And he, and he, when, anybody have this, man, when you are perplexed with something, suddenly you're not sleeping, and, and instead of, uh, you're, you're just stewing about it over and over in your mind, and then, and then you don't get any sleep, you can't rest at all, and by the time you do wake up, you're exhausted, you're not thinking straight anymore. Like, that's Joe, right? And he's afraid, and this dream comes to him. This is not some overactive brain chemistry. This is, this is, An angel of the Lord sent from God to speak to him. This is the dream, the kind of dream that you never forget. It's the kind of dream that in the middle of it, you maybe wet yourself a little bit. Anybody know what I'm talking about here, right? You're afraid. Like, what in the world is going on here? And the angel tells him three things. These are the three things he tells him. Mary's going to have a baby. She's not crazy. Mary's going to have a baby. You... Will name the baby Jesus. You're not getting out of this, bud. You will name the baby Jesus. And then the last one this baby will save the world. Whoa, right? And Joseph went from fear, and this is the main lesson we're gonna see from Joseph's life. He went from fear to all in. He went from fear to all in. And so it says this when Joseph woke up, the moment he woke up, he what? Did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, right? He immediately goes to a rabbi. He's all in, right? I still love Mary. This is Mary. I loved her. I was. I had plans with her. I was. We had plans. We knew how many kids we were going to have, right? And, but he's all in and he's so all in, get this, that he married her and still waited to have sexual relations with her. That's pretty all in. Any men remember waiting until your wedding night and then it was like, eh, let's wait six or eight months. That's all in. But the reason he was all in is because he didn't want anyone to be able to say that this was a shotgun wedding. He didn't want anyone to be able to say, Jesus is really yours. We know how this worked out. He wanted everyone to know, no. Jesus came from God. Jesus is because of the Holy Spirit, not because of me, right? And so we see this thing that Joe's response was obedience, That's the the name of the game today. It was obedience. And so obedience to God is not always easy. I can't imagine it was easy for Joe to say, let's get married. It's not always easy. But sometimes the right thing is the hard thing to do, and Joe is going to do it. So Joe, this background character in this story, right? The guy left out of the nativity in a lot of ways. But without Joe, the story looks different. So Let's fast forward a couple of years, right, and the wise men have just visited and left these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So in act two of our story this this week, we see another encounter with Joe, and it goes like this. After the wise men were gone, and what? An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel says what? Get up. Flee to where? Egypt, with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return. Because who? Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Okay? That night, that night, Joseph, what did he do? Left for Egypt. With the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I have called my son out of where? Now, do you ever wonder how this played out for Joe? Joe has another dream. And an angel of the Lord shows up again. And Joe's like, oh no, not you again. Are you kidding me right now? What is that? What now? Like, what do you want from me now? What am I, what do you, and the angel says, uproot your whole life. You have got to be kidding me. Uproot my whole life? For how long? I don't know. I don't know how long it'll be. I'll just, I'll tell you when it's over. But uproot your whole life. You've got to be kidding me. Why? And the angel says, the king is going to hunt down and kill all the children two years and younger. Okay, that's a pretty good reason to uproot my life, don't you think? Like, I, I guess we're going then. Uh, that sounds like we should do that. And, and he, he yells back to Mary, Mary, start packing! And Mary's like, I just got the nursery set up and he's like woman just do it. They're out of the honeymoon phase at this point. Does that make sense? Like they've been married a little while and and so and so you know she she if you've been married for a little while you know, right? And he says get don't forget my iPhone charger. We are leaving, lady. We are leaving tonight, right? And and the the question that I sort of wonder about this is this. Why does God allow these terrible situations to happen? Like God could have struck down Herod in an instant. Why does he allow this stuff to happen? You think you're going home to Nazareth? I mean, maybe they did go home to Nazareth for a little while. You think you're staying in your hometown? You ain't. Uproot your life. Go. Change everything. Off to Egypt. Right? And I think the underlying point of this is that your situation in life, whatever it is right now, is not as important as how you respond to that situation. God is molding and shaping us and and he's moving in us and we see again joe immediately is all in he's like I've, that night you get up and they go and they moved off to egypt right and so the one thing that i think we learn from joseph is this this story is a big move of god always starts with these small acts of obedience a big move of god always starts with these small acts of obedience Anything I have ever done or will ever do for God, anything that you have ever done or will do for God requires you to say, when prompted, God, I'm in. I'm in. I'll do it. It doesn't make sense to me right now, but I will do it. Uh, when you are prompted with those small acts of obedience, when we hear God call, or even when you're reading something in Scripture and you're like, oh man, I am not being obedient to that. You starting with that small act of obedience unlocks God's move in your life. And so we've got to be able to say them all in. Which leads me to act three. Act three of Joseph's story goes like this. We're just a little bit later. Matthew chapter two, verse 19. It says, when Herod died, who? An angel of the Lord. He's back. Appeared in a dream to Joseph. Where? He's in Egypt still. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to where? The land of Israel. Because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph, what did he do? Got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream again, right, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophets have said. He will be called a what? Now I want you to imagine this. Joseph gets a, another visit from an angel who says, go back. Go back. Wait a second. The last time you told me, you told me that they were going to kill all the children in, if, if in the area. And can you imagine this? Because this would, I can only imagine that this would absolutely be true. This thing happened, they slaughtered children, okay? They slaughtered children, babies. You know, just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we heard this horrific story in Israel of these terrorists that flooded into Israel and they killed people, they killed women and children and teenagers and babies and children in their bed. And we heard these stories and we thought to ourselves, that is insane. It's insane. Right now, there are still women in Israel. We, boy, I, I tell you, you know, our news cycle changes and we move off of something. There are women in Israel right now that have still lost their little children. Okay, We need to continue to pray for those people because they are suffering. Let me give you this. This is not the first time this has happened to Israel. They slaughtered every child under the age of two. Can you imagine the headlines? Can you imagine the news of the people traveling to these cities and going, you, do you know what they're doing? You know what they're doing in Israel as, as Joseph is in Egypt, right? And, and, and then he's told, go back. Joe's like, go back? Are you kidding me? Anybody here ever have toddlers? Cute little kids that are this tall. You'd do anything to protect them, wouldn't you? You'd run into traffic. You'd you'd do anything to protect those kids. And Jesus Jesus is about that age. and, And Joe's like, are you kidding me? Go back. Go back. But the angel says, go. And Joe says, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'll go. And this is where we learn what obedience really is. This is what obedience really is. Take this down. Obedience equals love plus trust plus action. Love plus trust plus action. Our culture says that obedience is forced submission with fear. That's, what, that's how it's sold to us. Forced submission with fear. You will show up on time to school or else I will send you to the principal's office. You, you, you will do your job properly or I will fire you and you will not work here anymore. Like, we see obedience through that lens. But true biblical obedience looks like this. Love plus trust plus action. When you know someone loves you, you know they love you. And you know you can trust them because they have proven themselves trustworthy again and again and again. And they ask you to do something, it is easy to obey. You go, yeah, I'll, I, yes. I'm in. I don't, I don't even know why, but I know you love me. I know I can trust you, and so I will take that step of obedience, right? I will move to action. You have to move to action. You have to move to action. You need all three, love, trust, and then action. Without action, it's not obedience. It says in John chapter 14, verse 15, it says this. If you, what? Love me, then what? Obey my commandments. So Joe packs up the family and moves back home. Which leads me to... So what, Steve? What do we do with this? How do we make some sense of this? Well, I want to talk a little bit about obedience. You know, as a father, Christmas time is the one time of year I can get complete obedience out of my family. Do you know that? So one time of year I can get complete obedience out of my family. I tell my family, don't spend very much on me, and they all do it, okay? So they, they don't pay... Oh, look at! they're looking at each other. You don't get mad. You don't got to be mad like that. You still got like 18 shopping days. Okay. Uh, but the spirit of Christmas that we see in this story, the spirit of J- J- Joseph, the spirit of Christmas through Joseph is the spirit of obedience. It's the spirit of obedience. So what do we learn from Joe's obedience? Well, here's the first thing that you can learn about obedience. First of all, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Obey immediately. You're supposed to obey immediately. It says in Matthew 1, 24, we're gonna look at the three responses of Joseph. When Joseph woke up, the moment he woke up, what did he do? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. No waiting. Sometimes a command of the Lord can feel heavy. In that moment, I'm sure it felt heavy. I want you to marry her, even though people are talking, even though you don't know what's going on, even though you're not sure about this dream she had, you know the dream you had. You're supposed to go and take her, right? And we tend to drag our feet, Sometimes out of guilt, sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of just straight procrastination, we drag our feet. We know the right thing to do, but we don't want to do it right now. Let me ask a question. Anybody here have teenagers? Teenagers, anyone? Have you ever said to your teenager, take out the trash or clean your room? The inevitable response is what? (laughs) Ah, the inevitable response was i'll do it in a minute dad anybody else oh it's just me it's just my kids Uh uh-huh i'll do it in a minute i'll do it in a minute not right now i'm busy i'm doing something and then six hours later when you go back to their room and you say did you take out the trash what do they say no why didn't you i forgot does that make sense I forgot. I forgot. I don't know. know. Obedience delayed is not obedience. Obedience delayed is just not obedience. When you read scripture and you know something in your life is not right, that you are not living according to God's plans, and you say, I need to change this, do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't say in a minute, oh, I'm waiting until whatever. Do it now. When you are prompted by the Holy Spirit to take action, to do something, don't wait. Do it now. Jump into it right then. Psalm 119 says it this way. I will what? Hurry. How? Without delay. To do what? To obey your commands. Right now. Do it now. Jump into it right now. Second thing is this. Do it again and again. Again and again. We're going to see that in Joseph. We see that throughout his story here in the Bible. Do it again and again. Obey consistently. Obey consistently. In Matthew chapter 2, in the second episode of Joseph, we see this. When? That night, right away... Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary. He did this, what he was supposed to do again. You do it again and again. If you were visited by an angel, you would probably do whatever the angel told you right away. Can I, true? True? If a vivid angel came to you in a dream last night and said you're supposed to do something, you would be like, yes, I'm going to go do that. The problem with it is, is that we tend to, once we've heard something clear like that from God, we will do something about it. But many times we just return to the way that we do things. We just go back to the way that's comfortable or familiar, right? Because our ways are selfish, and God's ways are selfless. Our ways are comfortable, but God's ways are uncomfortable. Our ways are stingy, and, and, and God's ways are generous, right? But God tells us and prompts us again and again and again, are you going to obey? Are you going to obey? Are you going to obey? You know. You know what you're supposed to do. Are you going to obey? I love you, you know you can trust me, right? You know it's time for action, are you gonna obey? Do it again, do it again. And Joseph's response over and over again was obedience, obedience, obedience. Listen to what it says here in Psalm uh, 119. It says, teach me your decrees, O Lord, and I will keep them when? To the end. Give me understanding and I will what? I'll obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with what? All of my heart, again and again and again, I will obey. I will obey, God. I will obey. And then the last one is this. Do it despite your fear. Do it despite your fear. And I would say that's obey courageously. Do it despite your fear. Obey courageously. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 21, right, the third act of Joseph's story is, so Joseph, what did he do? Got up. And what else? Returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother, and he had to be terrified to go back there. See, the the greatest barrier we have to obedience is that internal monologue that says, what is going to happen to me if I do this? What's going to happen to me if I'm obedient, right? What what will be the outcome? Uh, What's the part of this equation? Because when we don't completely trust, we have this fear component that comes in, and, and we need to say, now I'm not always, listen, obedience doesn't always lead to prosperity obedience doesn't always lead to the outcome that you think should happen, but obedience always, I know God loves me. I know I can trust God. How do I know that? Because I've been able to trust him over and over and over again in my life, right? And I know I can trust him, and if I know I can trust him, then I can take action on this, even if I'm afraid, even if I don't know the outcome, because I am all in. God, I'm all in, even if I have no idea how this will all work out. It says in uh, Psalm 56, it says it this way. But when I am what? Afraid. I will what? Put my trust in you. See, like Joseph, and you got to imagine in each of these acts of Joseph's story, he had no idea what the outcome was going to be. He had no idea what the next step was going to be. He just was obedient, right? And you have a choice today to obey or to do it your own way. Listen, there's probably only two things that are going on inside of you right now. The Holy Spirit, we've invited him to be in this room and, and, and he's speaking even to you right now. There's probably two things going on with you. One is there is some area of your life where you are absolutely being disobedient to God and you know it. You know it. You know what God wants. You know the answer. You know what you should be doing and you're not doing it. And you're being disobedient to God. And right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that. And the question is, is, will you do it now? Will you do it again and again? Will you do it even if you're afraid of what the outcome will be? That is true for some of us. Sin crops up in all of our lives and we have to deal with it. But, but the thing that I think happens so much in the Christmas season and the thing that I would like you to lean into is this. The Christmas season gives us more opportunities than almost any other time of year in my opinion to listen to the Holy Spirit when he prompts us to do something. We see needs in front of us. Whether it's a family that needs gifts through, uh, through our partners here. Whether it's clean water or, or whatever else it is. We feel these promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we've got a choice. Am I going to be obedient? Or am I going to do it my way? Am I going to take action because I know God loves me. I know I can trust him. And I, I know every other time I've taken action... He's taking care of it? Or are we going to say, I'll do it in a minute? Let me give you two quick stories of things that have happened this week where people have been a blessing to me because they were obedient. Got a phone call this week from a 90-year-old woman in our church who said, I need to talk to Pastor Steve. I just need 15 or 20 minutes of his time. Can you have him call me? I called. She said, I just need 15 or 20 minutes of your time. First of all, never apologize for 15 or 20 minutes. I will give you as much time as you need. This is why we do ministry. We love people, and we love being around you and talking with you about your lives. She said, can I get 15 or 20 minutes of your time? I said, yes. She came into my office. She sat down. We sort of got to know each other. We knew each other, but but she, we were telling each other stories, and about five or 10 minutes into our conversation she said listen the only reason i'm really here today is because i'm being obedient to the holy spirit and i said oh she said i don't know why but god put you on my heart and i am supposed to pray for you can you tell me the things that i need to pray for you and i went really you know why because people come and unload on us sometimes And instead, this beautiful lady said, I just want to pray for you. And I shared with her some stuff from my personal life that I'm struggling with. I shared with her some stuff from the church. And she said, I'm going to pray for you. And we prayed together. And she said, I'm going to keep praying for you. And if you have anything else, would you please tell me I would love to pray for you? Because she was obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I had a lunch this week with a guy from church that I, I didn't know very well. He called me out of the blue, said, let's go to lunch. I never know where that's going to go. But I sat down at this lunch and we again got to know each other, talked a little bit, didn't know each other very well, told each other our stories. And along the way, he, uh, he asked about this living water trip that we're doing in just a few months. And, and he said, tell me about this living water trip. I really wanted to go, but for some reasons, I, I can't really go myself. And I told him about the trip I had been before and the team was already set at this point and we're ready to go and stuff. And he said, are, is everybody, how does it work? Does everybody raise money for this? And I said, yeah, everybody's gonna be raising money to go. And he said, are you gonna be raising money? I said, yes, I'm gonna be raising money to go. And he said, you know, I, I just, I really feel like God's telling me that I should just pay for your trip so you can go and not think about it. And I said, are, are you like, are you serious? Normally, my, my normal inclination is to say, oh, you don't need to do that. And I just thought, you know what? If you're being obedient, then I should just be obedient, shut up and, and let you bless me. The question is, is if if God prompts you for something and he says, be obedient in this, what kind of blessing can you unlock? What kind of move of God can you unleash because of your small act of obedience? Can I pray for you? Father God, I'm so thankful for the way that I have been blessed this week through other people's obedience. And God, I just pray you would unlock the door for me to see your move and your hand and and ways that I can be obedient to you and that you will unlock blessing in other people's lives because of it, Father. God, we know you love us and I love you. And I know I can trust you because you've been so faithful in my life over and over and over again, God. Let me not give pause Not say in a minute, but jump right into action. When your spirit prompts me, God, when when your Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, may I immediately jump to obedience. When your Holy Spirit convicts me to action and to be a blessing, may I immediately jump to obedience that your power and your grace and your glory would be unleashed in our world. We pray these things, God, and I'm so thankful for Joseph. I pray that you would let us uh, act with that kind of obedience. In your son Jesus' name, amen.